Boozed and Confused is a comedy and weird topic podcast. Adult language may be used probably by me. While our episode topics may be educational in nature, we are not responsible if your children start dropping the F-bomb to their kindergarten class. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody. Hey. Welcome back to Boozed and Confused. I'm Carol Ann. And I am Matt. And I'm not boozed. Matt's gonna I mean, be. <laughs> I'm I'm about to start. It's uh it's time. Yeah, it's time. It's fine. It's one o'clock. It's fine. Um yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome. I hope you have enjoyed the last few weeks. We've got a good one today. I'm really excited about it. It's wild. It's not as wild, I think, as basically where the inspiration came from, but no spoilers yet. <laughs> so before we get into today's topic, just a couple of notes. Um, God, why do I always forget these now? So the first one is we're on all your favorite social media. <laughs> we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I've gotten a lot more active because I've, I don't know, found some more energy in the last week or so. Um, but if you want to hang out with us there, you can. Um, I always appreciate the memes and messages and everything. And uh, if social media is not really your jam, but you still want to send us a note, you can do that on uh, email at boostingconfusedpodcast at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you if you've got like a weird story. Uh, if you want to write us a complaint, <laughs> you could do that too. Um, yeah. And the next bit is if you like the pod and you want to support us, we don't have a Patreon because we don't have time for that. And uh, we don't have a buy me a coffee, but maybe at some point we will. Maybe. Until then, we're just going to keep using the Ninja. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Buy me, buy me a large Costco-sized bag of beans that I can grind up. That'll work, too. Yeah, but please not pre-ground. Yeah, no. We have standards in this house. We like to grind our coffee <laughs> ourselves as part of the process. Uh, as I was grinding the coffee this morning, I like felt the little bit of like, I don't know. Like, I really enjoy like freshly ground beans yeah you're welcome but then i you're welcome <laughs> also realize like how much that makes us sound like uh we enjoy the smell of our own farts look it's got to be freshly ground <laughs> it's pure black coffee yeah yeah it took me like five years of drinking black coffee to actually like it that's not true it was like two years yeah, fun fun fact before we get too far. The only reason that I drink black coffee now is because when Matt and I were first dating, Matt picked me up from the train station and I was like, oh, we were like in downtown Chicago. So I was like, oh, before you come pick me up, I'll pick up our coffee orders. How do you take your coffee? And he's like, oh, I drink it black. And I was like, cool, me too. <laughs> <laughs> that was not true. It was not true. It was not true. I was definitely the kind of person where I'm like, make it like... I don't know, a lot of milk or creamer or something and some sugar. And now I just drink it black because the rest gives me heartburn. But also black coffee just hits you in the face the way it needs to in the morning. <laughs> yeah, once it hits the lower intestine. Yeah, it's game over. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we don't we don't have like a buy me a coffee. But if you do like the pot and you want to support us, um, the best way you could do that is by, you know, telling your friends, leaving us a review. Um yeah, especially if you're on like Apple Podcast and subscribe. Um, it it's the best way you could support any pod that you listen to, especially all the little guys. I promise Joe Rogan doesn't need your <laughs> five star rating the same way that your favorite small pods do. Um, but yeah. Other ways you can help, uh, you can send me Pokemon cards. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't care if they've been opened. Um I would appreciate that. The scalpers are really getting to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I found out that one of my students is a scalper. Yeah. It's been a rough like couple of weeks since Matt's really gone down the hole for this. I literally spent 
10 years, 15 years not collecting. And the only thing I had was like an old, super old binder full of all my Pokemon arranged by type. Yeah, of course, because how else are you supposed to arrange them alphabetically? That's stupid. That is stupid. Um, and then I would only get the games. And I still play the games. Yeah, I, the games I have, are great. I have Sword. Yeah. It's it's a little too handholdy, but I've gotten into the competitive stuff. I don't compete, but like if I did, <laughs> I don't think I would suck that much. Yeah. Um, our good friend Joe got me. We we fought in a battle, and like I just barely beat him. Like totally lucked out. And then what? You just never played him again after that because you wanted to hold on to that title, or? No, no, no. I'm 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 low key trying to build an extremely op team of course i have like three guys i think you know like ready to go Uh um but we've been you know like really busy with other stuff like um D &D and rocket league and other stuff yeah so yeah but he's uh my lifelong friend and rival (laughs) so yeah so anyways if uh if you do leave us a review or pokemon cards or pokemon cards um if you leave us a review and take a screenshot and send it to us we will send you some boost and confused swag and really the swag is just stickers it's like four thousand stickers that we have i can also send you um a couple non-hollow rare pokemon <laughs> cards that i have like 15 of now we can send you all the pokemon cards we don't want yep pretty much on my screen right yeah. now is our document <laughs> with the notes and then like three tabs looking for um, an elite trainer box yeah great that's not like three times the price which scalpers out there you are scum (laughs) i know i know the grind's real i know it's real yeah but find something else don't abuse people's hobbies yeah don't abuse the hobby it's already expensive enough as it is Uh... but you know what (laughs) this collection is going to send our kid to college yeah which um i can't imagine you know, 18 years from now, how expensive that's going to be, but that's fine. It's going to be free by then. Don't worry. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, all right. And the last bit before we get into it, what are you drinking today? Cause it's not the LaCroix that I put in front of you. No, no, no. This is LaCroix. Um, it's a sealed can uh-huh. of revolution anti-hero. Excellent. I'm going to crack the seal right yeah. now. Hold on. Yep. Oh, Excellent. the HD crack. Um, I did buy another, like, I'm not sure it's like a 12 pack, or like a 24 pack. I have no idea. It's not 24. <laughs> it's definitely 12. Yeah. Um, it's it's the anti-hero, like the regular one. And then mm-hmm. there's two others. Um, one of them's really sharp and mm-hmm. not my favorite. But I, I really like Revolution. It's if like they want to sponsor good, me, yeah. that would be great. Oh, just you? Well, yeah, it would be inappropriate For now. to sponsor I still remember. Well, I think I think what it is is anti-hero. Reminds me of C two E two. Yeah. Because I'd always buy that big mug. Oh yeah. And you would just bring it back every day for stupid refills. Yeah. Because what's more as soon fun as you get there at ten a.m. <laughs> what What's more fun than being like Mister Meesix? Yeah. And um, being uh, slightly buzzed at a Comic Con where. I'll be more likely to spend more money on things yeah. that I like. Yeah. I uh, I can't wait for C2E2 in December. I'm so excited. For anyone who like knows us personally, you know that I take um, cons very seriously. I, too serious. I always, I always dress up. And um, we were fortunate enough to go to C2E2 at the beginning of last year, like right before everything kind of shut down. Like we were mm-hmm. at C2E2 and we were like, this is a lot of people. It was like just as COVID was breaking out. Yeah, it was like people kind of stopped touching each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember sitting in the corner of like the food lobby, like eating a piece of pizza, kind of yeah. like, is this the last thing we're going to do yeah. for like a year? And it actually was. Yeah, and it, it was. It actually was. So we were fortunate to be able to do that, but obviously did not have anything so far this year. But C2E2 got pushed to December, which works out in our favor anyways. And I'm just very excited for it. I think last C2E2 was my favorite costume that I wore. What um, was it? I was not a Cylon. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, super suspect. Like literally a shirt that says not a Cylon and people are like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Wait, what? <laughs> um, all right. I think that's enough uh, dilly-dallying before the episode. Um, also, I'm just going to apologize from here on out for every episode up until basically I give birth. Um, apparently, it's hard to talk a lot <laughs> when you're um, like seven or eight months pregnant. Um, so yeah yeah and you haven't taught me how to use the program or anything and you do all the social media you do everything i just show up and talk sometimes um i don't know i mean i'd be happy to like solo an episode or three i could set it up for you i would need um like notes yeah and like arrows on the screen no i would just set it up for you and then probably project manage how do i use a facebook (laughs) um all right so today we are going to talk about Mark Hoffman. Very who, excited about this. <laughs> who is Hannah Montana? <laughs> so this episode is actually inspired by Murder Among the Mormons, which is on Netflix. It's like a three-episode mini docu-series that just came out uh, March this year, so last month, like maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. And we just watched it last night, and it was not at all what I was expecting, and it was fantastic. It was really good. Yeah, I don't know what it is about me lately. Um, I used to be that guy who could watch anything uh, like true crime, and now I'm very picky and choosy. I I, I don't. It's because you just have superior animes to watch. No, instead. no, it's not even that. Like um, uh, like I've become more squeamish, or mm. I become more like yeah. empathetic about murder yeah. and stuff. It hits me different. Well, now. I mean, there was an episode that we were looking at doing for the pod that was like the disappearance of a child and matt was straight up like nope 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 not not doing it not touching it i don't know maybe it's like the pregnancy change things you know what episode was it where we talked about the woman who was oh ellen greenberg right yes and then there was actually some interaction from the family yeah so her um if anyone hasn't listened to it there's uh an episode we did about ellen greenberg and um, basically very long story short, it's still kind of like an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, a trial that's supposed to be this year, but, um, go back, listen to our episode. There's a lot of like, um, I don't know, resources and information on the internet. Um, and the family and friends are like still very active trying to get justice for Ellen. So highly recommend checking that out. Well, yeah, it was, it was called a, a suicide, but there's like it did not no point way. to a suicide yeah, absolutely no, no way. way it's a suicide uh but there was like interaction from like the social media around that case yeah like from like the family or friends yeah. and that hit me really hard yeah and i was like i don't want to touch anything that's yeah. still alive this is a little bit in the past so this is yeah so yeah we won't spoil anything but yeah all right so here's the thing though we're gonna talk about the like key person in this docuseries whose name is Mark Hoffman and we're gonna talk about the docuseries a bit as well but um, basically if you're planning on watching the docuseries at all uh, just pause this episode go listen to the doc or go watch the docuseries it's like three hours yeah it's not very long Um, but pretty much this entire episode is going to be spoilers so I don't want to spoil anything for you if you're gonna go watch it i mean this might be a spoiler for me i was i was very distracted um during our viewing i was yeah, watching I our friend joe's um was it second star uh twitch series um it's a really cool D story and they had their first episode drop yesterday and it was super well done so i was like watching that way more than this yeah. So I, I missed a lot of things. <laughs> so, so maybe this will be new for you too. I am like, yeah, I'm a very attentive audience right yeah. now. Um, so, or, you know, flip side, maybe this piques your interest enough um, that you're going to go watch this or go watch the docuseries after you listen to this. Who knows? Um, but again, like literally this entire thing is going to be full of spoilers. So please don't add us if you listen to the episode and you're like, wow, spoilers. Right. Um, spoilers, three, two, one. If you don't want to be spoiled, um, maybe try and watch a recording of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Which applicable. I will say about the Mormons, uh, despite... Oh, so uh, Matt Parker 
and oh my god trey trey smith Something no like oh trey the guys who make south park what, yeah. what kind of fan am i it's like my favorite show of all yeah, time that's fine uh they make fun of everybody but they definitely have extra fun with the mormons mm -hmm. um and they made a musical called the book of mormon and the mormons took it took the punch uh, great and they actually paid for like uh, a page or two in the program saying hey you liked the musical check out the real thing like what sports yeah what sports yeah. and i've only had good experiences with mormons um mainly the guys on the bikes going around door to door yeah uh very very good experiences um just it, i will say if you're too open to them talking to you, they'll come back. Do you know this from experience? Um, I don't think it was the Mormons. I think I took some material from Jehovah's Witnesses, mm -hmm. uh, who, you know, I was at my parents' house back then, and I think I was the only one home at the time. And so I, like, had a conversation. I was a theology minor in college. So I was like, yep, let's talk. And I took some paperwork or some, like, literature and then I think I moved out of the house. Bye. And my parents were like, they're still coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if they're still coming to this, you know, at this point, hopefully. Yeah, maybe. I just like talking to people. Yeah, I know and you do. religion fascinates me. Yeah. And even, especially ones that are not my own. Yeah. So. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, spoiler. Mark Hoffman is um, Mormon and it plays a huge part in the story that we're going to talk about, uh, which is why we're talking about it now. Um, but if you've watched the docuseries, you know who Mark Hoffman is. And if you haven't watched it, let's just go through like an overview of who Mark is. I was going to say was, but he's not dead. No, so. he's still a guy. No, he's, yeah, he's around. Uh, so Mark is born December 7th, 1954, Salt Lake City, Utah. His parents are Lucille and William. And he's raised in the Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which going forward, we're just going to refer to as the LDS Church mm -hmm. because otherwise it's a mouthful. <laughs> and as a kid, he's just like a really interesting kid. Um, so he's not like the best student, which is fine. I find that a lot of my really, really smart students aren't the best students. Yeah. I, like in the traditional sense of like oh yeah. you get good grades yeah yeah a lot of my really bright ones like the ones who i think will go somewhere have some like niche interest that's yeah. nothing to do with school uh but i think they'll be pretty good with it yeah um so mark as a kid has like some normal hobbies right so he's like into magic he's into electronics um chemistry he starts collecting like stamps and coins um and also he and his friends made bombs for fun um what <laughs> and uh so he's older and he's sent to bristol in england as part of a mission which is like a really common thing for young men around his age in the lds church um so he's there for like a couple of years spends his time in a lot of bookshops apparently that's like a huge thing thing or maybe it's not a huge thing but like the docuseries portrayed it as a very large thing um so he finds an interest in buying like early mormon material which as you can imagine is like very highly sought after right because mormonism what i learned yesterday um it's not that old of a religion it's like less than 200 years old um so there's still a lot of documents that may be out and about that um, I think are very interesting to those involved. Right. I, I think while you were doing some notes, I was talking about Mormonism and it, it feels like a massively new world. Yeah, religion. exactly. Like uh, 1820s, 1830s yeah. is how far back it goes. And I'm sure we'll get into like John Smith and his his story. I actually have a copy of the Book of Mormon. I'm sure it's around here somewhere. It's definitely around here somewhere. So uh, Mark gets back from the mission, enrolls in like pre-med at Utah State, gets married in 1979 to a woman named Dora Lee, and they have four kids together. So this is just like 
normal Mormon life. He's a good Mormon family man. <laughs> um, and like surface level, like everything seems pretty normal, right? Um, the bombs part is a little weird <laughs> as a kid. We all have weird interests growing up. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but it's not, it's not as it would seem on the surface level. So, um, let's talk about Mark Hoffman, the collector. Yeah. He is always the kind of guy who can find that really rare thing that everyone wants. Like really suspect, like we were watching this docuseries last night and it's like, oh, Mark is in England and found this and Mark is in New York and found this. And it's like, How? How? I don't want to jump too far ahead because there's like a little bit of backstory before we get to the document mm-hmm. finding part. But it's sh- there's just a lot of like, hmm, interesting. He's got cheat codes. <laughs> he's got dowsing rods. Yeah. He can just find it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So we talk about his interest in magic, uh, his interest in collecting stamps and coins and magic. I find to be a really interesting one. It's the art of deception, deceiving people. Right, and I thought I might be mixing up my Christian denominational faith, but I thought magic was kind of frowned upon. Um, I they do talk about magic a lot in um like the sources I was I was reading, so maybe maybe it is. Look, I can juggle, and I have like one card trick <laughs> that I always show my yeah. students. That's it. Yeah. So he starts coin collecting when he's like twelve. And he takes it a little bit further than just, like, collecting Mm -hmm. coins and tests his limits a little bit. And he found ways to alter the coins to make them look more desirable to collectors. Uh, And he would, like, actually fool these collectors with his altered coins. Mm -hmm. At the age of 12. What were you doing when you were 12? Collecting Pokemon cards. (laughs) The same thing you're doing at 30. (laughs) Video games, yeah. Pokemon cards. It's, it's just yeah, the it's, same. It's Anime. Just it's, consistent. I'm a I'm a grown child. It's fine. I'm a 31 year old child. It's fine. So um, Mark claims that like by the time he's 14, he creates this forgery technique that he said was like undetectable, and as a teenager, he starts this business called Mark's Mint Mistakes. Which uh, just really rolls off the tongue. Great business. I love the alliteration. Yeah, I know. It's great. So his forgeries are apparently so sophisticated. He claims that he created this like 1959D Lincoln Scent Mule, which passed, allegedly passed, the Treasury Department inspection. Right. Like he got like an actual like letter saying this is genuine. Yeah. From the Treasury Department. But it was genuinely fake. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the penny's value is estimated at like $25,000 plus, right? Talk and, about inflation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, someone in the series last night made a really good quote that was, if this guy were to create something that is believed to be real and they say that it's real, then is it real? Oh, right. Oh, that guy who like whispers the whole time. Yeah, really, I don't, it really yeah, I don't threw know me off because yeah. his old footage, he was not a whispery guy. Like yeah. he talked like this, kind of like Winnie the Pooh talks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's like, if it's believed to be true, does that change the reality of its truthfulness? Yeah, exactly. Which kind of I mean, that threw me off a lot. Um, but there are other people who are like closer to Mark who are like, you know what? I know that Mark is like a lying son of a bitch, <laughs> so I wouldn't believe a thing that comes out of his mouth. Um, so there are people who claim like he didn't even make that coin, but he just claims that he like forged it and then, you know, sent it off to the Treasury Department. Right. I seem to remember uh, during the documentary this one point where maybe I think it was like a childhood friend was talking about he and Hoffman and a couple other friends would go to the forest to just like dig for treasure. Yeah. And lo and behold, uh, Hoffman finds this like massive coin collection, like tons of coins. And then it turns out that like he knew they'd be there. So he went ahead of time and buried Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. so that he would be the discoverer of it. 
and I think that's kind of, I think that, you know, like when you have that tendency, it just grows and that's kind of where we're going. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is, but yeah, kind of weird. So, uh, he gets older, he moves away from coins and he focuses more on like Mormon money. And so he's around 25 and he sells his coin collection and his Mormon money collection. And it's pretty much like, I'm just going to forge everything for a living instead. Um, because like you also have to realize he did do a lot of work with genuine documents and like genuine coins and stamps and everything. But his collections at some point became so intermingled that it's like, where's the line? Mm-hmm. Um, but forging was just more lucrative, basically. A lot of deception. He, he rolled really high really early on. Yeah. A lot of yeah. 20s. A yeah. lot of nat 20s. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, starting in like 1980, forgeries are almost his entire income. And his forgeries include documents. And this is kind of where things start to get really deep mm-hmm. for him. Because obviously, there's more money in it. Stakes are higher. Um, and we're not just talking about like small pieces of paper here and there we're talking about documents that like if they were real had huge significance within history both inside the lds church and like just actual american history which is nuts and so it said that he's forged like hundreds of documents with over 86 signatures and we don't even know all of the fakes that he did which i think is the part that's the craziest like he could have fakes that are still I was going to say walking around that are still um, in circulation right now Mm -hmm. that we just don't know about. So let's talk about some of the fakes that are his most famous. All right. So the first one we're going to chat about the Anthem transcript forgery. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, So in 1980, Hoffman says he finds this like 17th century King James Bible with a piece of paper folded inside. Love King James. Uh, (laughs) Love him. I can't get divorced. I have my own church now. Um, So this piece of paper inside was allegedly like the transcript that Martin Harris, who's a scribe to Joseph Smith, who's the founder of Mormonism, had presented to Charles Anthon in 1828. (laughs) Okay. And so the significance of this is it said that Smith copied the transcript and the Egyptian characters from golden plates from which he translated the Book of Mormon. Isn't that the entire, like, founding of Mormonism? He found these golden plates, Uh like, in a hat, Uh in a forest. Uh Uh, There's a worm involved. Yeah. Yeah. So, surprise, actually, Mark Hoffman uh, buried those gold plates there for Joseph Smith to find. No, I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is kind of a big deal. And um, there's this prominent Mormon um, academic named Hugh Nibley, Nib- Nibley um, who said that this discovery promised as good a test as we'll ever get to the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. So it's this forgery that solidifies Hoffman's reputation as this like Indiana Jones of sorts. Like again, we talk about earlier how it's just like there's so many things that he finds. Even as we were watching the docu series, I was like, literally, how is he going to these random bookshops and just picking up books? And then like, like he's the one that finds it. Like, do these bookshop owners not know what they have? Like, it just it was so suspicious. Um, so the LDS church talks about the discovery of this transcript and they buy it from Hoffman for $20,000, which is a lot of money, but also like, you know, 40 years ago had a different kind of purchasing power. So, um, after this forgery, Hoffman realizes Basically, there's no point in him going to school. (laughs) So um, he drops out to go into business as a rare book dealer instead. And he continues with these like really rare, incredible, unbelievable finds, literally unbelievable finds of these historic LDS documents. And he has pretty much everyone in the church fooled, like top to bottom with these documents, including like the document experts that they have historians 
It's nuts. So, next is the Joseph Smith III blessing forgery. So, the docuseries talks about this as well, but it's worth noting that when um, LDS would purchase these documents, they didn't always make a huge announcement about it. And it's because, like, sometimes these documents were believed to have been harmful to the church and the community. So the church would purchase these documents quietly and then suppress them because um, the harm that it would cause or could cause the members could even cause some to like question their faith altogether. And they obviously didn't want that. So. (laughs) Yeah, you got to maintain the status quo. Yeah, just sweep it under the rug. (laughs) So um, one document that kind of follows this Um, is presented by Hoffman to the LDS Church in 1981. And allegedly, this document was proof that Joseph Smith had designated his son, Joseph Smith III, rather than Brigham Young as his successor. And this would have been a pretty big deal, apparently. I don't know a ton about Mormonism and, like, the interminglings of the history and whatnot. <laughs> Sounds very sophisticated. Well, wasn't it again like during the note process that we were going through, that you were going through, this is totally a you episode, um, I didn't even know that there were like different Mormon uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. groups. Yeah. Uh, I feel like in the U.S., the majority of the info we get about Mormons is from like TLC. Pretty much. So like the there's trish. that one show, yeah. Sister Wives, mm-hmm. with that guy. I don't know how he does it. And then Seeking Sister Wife. And then. And then there's the one like, uh, you know, uh, Escaping. Escaping. Mormonism. Something like that, maybe. Right. Right. And uh, what's that guy's name? The guy who was in charge? Warren. Warren Jeffs. Jeffs. Warren Jeffs in jail and has been for quite a while now. But still pulling the the cords, allegedly. Yeah. Matt and I had a very in-depth conversation this morning just about religion and Mormonism in general. And I pretty much compared, like, that part, like, the Warren Jeffs part um, to, like, I don't know, the outfit, the mob. If he's right. in jail and, like, still pulling strings. <laughs> right. Just some light Saturday morning conversation yeah. over coffee and soccer. <laughs> Super watching normal. Watching Lester play. Talking about religion and the state of, you know, humankind. Yeah. Just normal light conversation for Mm -hmm. a Saturday. Yeah. Um, So anyway, so Hoffman, who's like the good Mormon man that he is, knows the implications that this document would have. And he brings it to the LDS church for them to buy it. And they're like, holy shit, that's a lot of money that you're asking. We'll have to think about this. Oh, you don't want to pay it? Yeah. Oh. (laughs) So you don't want this. Well, let's see about that. Yeah. So instead, he goes to the reorganized LDS church, which is also just shortened to our LDS, um, which I think is now also called the Community of Christ, uh, to sell it to them instead. So pretty much what he does is like pins these two churches against one another in this like race or scramble to buy this document. And he realizes like, wow, I have a lot of power with this. Mm -hmm. And I think that offsets like something else in his brain. So he realizes pretty much he can manipulate the entire church with literally just a piece of paper. Yeah, it's nuts. Well, I feel like because of the relatively uh, modernness Mm -hmm. of Mormonism, you still have the possibility of attaining like real documents. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're not going back thousands of years. Which is like a couple hundred. Yeah, just that. a yeah. hop and a skip in the uh, universal sense. Yeah. Just a blip. Yeah. So there's a theory from the Salt Lake County um, DA investigator who, uh, after this like blessing was forged, um, you know, said that Hoffman's goal was to create the lost 116 pages of the Book of Mormon to sell to the church so that they could be hidden. Yeah, again, just sweep it under the rug. Perfect crime. Yeah. You want this? Mm-hmm. Then hide it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's also worth noting, like, 
like Hoffman would um, I can't remember which document specifically, but he'd be like, oh, yeah, take this and like you can buy it and hide it. And I swear it's the only one in existence. Mm-hmm. And then it would not be the only one in existence. And he would like leak it somewhere, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. Hoffman is a, a weird dude. So uh, next big one is the Salamander letter. And this is probably the most well-known of the forgeries that he had specifically within like the realm of mormon forgeries um so he allegedly very loose quotes found this in in 1984 and this letter was supposedly written by martin harris to ww phelps so pretty much he presents this version of um like the recovery of these gold plates that um pretty much go against what the church says happened in this particular version of events and not only did this letter pretty much imply that smith had been practicing like money digging through magical practices oh. there's there's that magic oh, the m word <laughs> um, but it also replaced the angel that smith smith said um that had appeared with him with like a white salamander instead which has a lot of implications. Uh, Got some uh, Genesis vibes there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, it's a lizard. Oh, this one has legs. There's no snake here. Oh, this God. one's got legs. Yeah. And they're kind of cute. Salamanders are kind of cute. Yeah, snakes, not so much. Cute. No, little snakes. I mean, some snakes are. Some of them. Little guys are. I saw a video of like a 10-foot king cobra, and that was really disturbing. They're so. not cute. No, they're not. They're very I saw... scary. I saw a video on Reddit of, um, like, a it was like infrastructure that was infested with cobras. Oh, I saw that. And they, like, yeah, lifted they like lifted it up, up, and there were Ooh. snakes everywhere. Yeah, that's why we live in Chicago because then we don't have that problem. I saw a snake once in Chicago. Well, we don't suburbs. have a like a a shed of snakes in the backyard though. I've seen frogs like in my backyard. Frogs are cute though. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so um, this letter is purchased and, um, you know, public knowledge that it's purchased. It, it, things don't really go according to plan. Um, so pretty much later in the year in 1984, there are two well-known critics of the LDS church whose names are Gerald and Sandra Tanner, who pretty much very publicly say, like, this is fake. This is a forgery. Y'all are uh, being lied to. And there's a document expert whose name is Kenneth uh, Rendell, who later said that while there's like the absence of any indication of the forgery in the letter itself, there's actually no evidence that it's even real to begin with. Oh, oh boy. We're getting back to it. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of forgeries that Hoffman makes within the Mormon church. One, obviously very lucrative. Seems like they'll kind of pay whatever just to to have it um but two it seems like that's kind of his his niche right the LDS church actually has an entire page on the Hoffman forgeries if anyone's interested in reading it you can go to their website um but some of the other forgeries include a letter from Joseph Smith's mom that apparently describes the Book of Mormon um letters from Martin Harris and David Whitmer who's two of the three witnesses which apparently is like a a thing within Mormonism, um, who each give like personal accounts of visions that they have. And there is uh, like a contract, allegedly, between Smith and Egbert Brett Grandin. Um, are you going to make a, name, a comment about the name Egbert? Can we just not name our kid Egbert? <laughs> what up, Egg? What up, Eggy? Scrambled eggs. Oh, gosh. That poor kid. Yeah, really Egbert. Just- just get them nice and bullied um there's also two pages of the original book of mormon manuscript taken in dictation from smith to oliver cowdery right so there's like a lot like he's a busy guy (laughs) really busy guy so here's one of those instances where we said like hoffman wasn't very honest about (laughs) keeping things under wraps So in 83, Hoffman basically bypasses the LDS church um, and sells directly to Gordon Hinckley, who's a like very well-known higher up within the LDS church, basically, um, and sells him this like 1825 Smith holograph 
um, that allegedly confirms that Smith had been treasure hunting and practicing magic five years after his first vision. Mm. So back to that magic again. Um, So Charles Hamilton, who's like the contemporary dean of American autograph dealers, um, had authenticated the signature and this. And then Hoffman sells the letter to the church for like 15 grand and pretty much was like, yeah, nobody else has a copy of this. I, I promise. I super swear. And then he leaks the existence of it to the press. <laughs> Who did this? <laughs> and then, um, you know, there's like news headlines pretty much all over. And the news headlines are not very nice. They're like kind of fear mongering. So the church then is pretty much forced to release um, the letter to the scholars for study, even though they denied ever even having the letter. Look what I found. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean oh, this, oh, one? this one? <laughs> oh, why didn't you say so? So again, going back to the point of like, how does Mark Huffman get so lucky finding all these documents? So to make it seem like more realistic or plausible that he was finding these documents, he says like, oh, I have this network of tipsters, basically. And that he... I got a guy. Yeah, I just got a guy. Um, And that he has like this method to tracking down um, like modern descendants of early Mormons, which I feel like, like these people, if they existed, would be well known to the church, right? It's not like Mormon royalty is it i don't really know how that works i'm too out of the loop in, yeah in that world to know yeah I'm, I'm not educated enough on that but um so yeah pretty much says like we we got a guy um and then mines collections of like 19th century letters that were saved by like other collectors um you know for their their postmarks right rather than like what was in the actual letters themselves um and so Again, going back to like the point where he he did at one point or like at some continuous point throughout this have legitimate business in actual historical documents, which he intermingled so well with the forgeries that like that's really what boosted his credibility mm-hmm. was the genuine documents that he had. So he also forged a lot of Americana stuff, which I think is really interesting. So earlier we mentioned that he forged like at least 86 signatures that we know of. Um, Some of these included like George Washington, John Adams, John Quincy Adams. Like the thing I think that surprises me about these is that maybe just like the quality of his forgeries, because we have historians, we have people who like actually analyze the shit for a living and like they were fooled by these forgeries which i think is just mind-blowing like have you ever tried to forge a document yeah i'm not very good at it (laughs) i remember shame i remember back in grade school we used to have these like weekly envelopes where they would send us home like every thursday and you had to have your parents sign it and i forgot one time and literally, it's like a whole page of like like my mom's beautiful signature. And I couldn't spell her first name. And so in my shitty like third grader cursive, yeah. I, I write just like her name's abbreviation and our last name. Yeah. <laughs> like, did you sign this? No. Matt, did you sign no. this? No. No? No. Absolutely my mom not. had a cold. Yeah. <laughs> she she's just having a rough time oh she has a gorgeous signature mine mine is mine is hideous mine is very but my attempted forgery because like you can't forge going slowly those like swooshes yeah and like the letters you can't do it there's no way yeah um he also forged stuff like francis scott key abraham lincoln mark twain paul revere come on john hancock there's just so many and it's it's crazy. Like, also think about how rare and valuable valuable those signatures are. Oh, yeah. Which is insane. Oh, yeah. So uh, another thing that he's credited with doing is forging um, an unknown poem in the hand of Emily Dickinson. So basically just like made a poem up in her handwriting. And it was like, yep, she wrote this. I wrote this. Um, so the biggest one 
that he's said to have forged um, is something called the Oath of a Free Man. And the significance of this is that this is like the most famous missing document in American colonial history, pretty much. So it's like a one-page oath printed in the 1600s. Um, It's like the first document to be printed in Britain's American colonies. And there's only about 50 copies made. So yeah, like a little valuable, a little rare. Um, And they, you know, pretty much didn't know where any of these copies were. So an actual example um, is probably worth over more than like a million dollars in the 80s. And uh, he said like, oh yeah, I have this. And so his agents, because he has agents, (laughs) start to negotiate a sale to the Library of Congress. That's how good his forgery is. It's bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out. (laughs) So you would think like, wow, Hoffman's really good at forgeries and he does a lot. You would think he'd be like rolling in the dough. He's not. No? No, he's very in debt. He's a very poor man. And the problem is because he lives very well above his means. Like, like think about people who win the lottery and then like lose it all within two years. Mm. That's pretty much what Hoffman does. But he also has like, you know, a love for purchasing genuine first edition books. Which are also very expensive. <laughs> I get it, though. I get it. I think I think the oldest book that I have, I, th- I think it's an Edgar Allan Poe, like, 1800s copy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it randomly from my buddy Nate. Still got it. It's super. It smells so musty. Okay. The, Hoffman. It's Did genuine. You- <laughs> Do you want to buy it for a million dollars? Oh, gosh. It's, I mean, it's crazy. The um, If you go and watch the docuseries, the... They, they kind of walk through pretty much how he would, um, like, age these documents almost in a way that, that made them seem genuine. So, like, you know, exposed to the elements for however amount of years. Um, just, like, so sophisticated. So, anyways. So, he's super poor. Super, super broke. and he's, Very in debt. Yeah. Super in debt to a lot of people. Um, and, again, getting back to, like, talking about maybe the outfit, the, the mafia. Um, when you're in debt to very wealthy, powerful people, you're not in a good position at all. It's a scary place to be in. Um, so he decides because he's so in debt, he's going to, um, sell the McClellan collection that he, that he's finding, which is like reportedly this huge group of documents written by William E. McClellan, who's like a, an early mormon apostle who like breaks with the lds church and this is supposed to be like a super rare collection huge deal within the church um and it would have been like the biggest thing that he would have pulled off pretty much Um, biggest heist yeah and so he like hypes it up pretty much being like oh this collection uh has a lot of shit in it that the lds church wouldn't like right just to really hype up the buyers (laughs) (laughs) um so The problem with this is that he has no idea where the collection is. (laughs) He doesn't have time to forge the collection. (laughs) Um, So he's screwed. He, you know, he's like promising these documents to one people. He's promising like repayments to another group of people. And uh, he's getting himself in a lot of trouble. And there's like the oath of a free man, right? That he's like in the process of of selling. Um, it, it, It gets delayed. Pretty much the the sell, the selling of it gets delayed because people are starting to question the authenticity of it. Uh-oh. So Hoffman's probably shitting his pants at this point. And he tries to buy more time to get himself out of trouble. Um, and to buy more time, he does what any normal human being does. And he makes bombs. <laughs> That's what I would do. So, so this is where shit really starts to take like this crazy turn. Um, you know, the, the docu-series reverses the way that they discuss the events. They talk about the bombings first, um, and then they kind of get into the revelations. Yes. Right. We're doing it the opposite way because of reasons. (laughs) 
So um, October 15th, 1985. And like, really, this is such a short span of time for him to get himself into such a big hole. Like, you know, starting forgeries full time, 1980-ish to 1985, he's making bombs to kill people. So he kills the first, um, or sorry, he first kills the document collector named um, Stephen Christensen. And uh, in the same day, a different bomb goes off and kills a woman named Kathy Sheets, who's the wife of Christensen's former employer. And um, police were kind of like suspecting that the bombings were related to the collapse of this like investment business of which Sheets' husband, Gary Sheets, uh, was, like, the principal, and Christensen was his protege. So pretty much, like, tries to, like, frame it in a way that's like, oh, look at, this has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't look at the man behind the, the curtain. Um, except the next day, Hoffman is now injured in a bombing, and uh, it's like a car bomb, or like a, a bomb explodes within the car. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, when I was watching this, I was like, oh, maybe he was trying to injure himself in a way that like looked less suspicious on him or like no one would would look at him at all. Yeah. See, I got bombed too. Yeah. But it does the complete opposite because the police are like, wait a second. (laughs) So because Hoffman is like hurt in this bomb um, and he's alive, you know, he like maybe loses a couple fingers or something, but he's alive. Um, they focus on him as a suspect in the bombings for the days prior or the day prior. Uh, that backfired. Um, and what's crazy is like, you know, in, in this Netflix series, there's people that are interviewed who are like his former associates who are pretty much told like, you need to get out of town, like take your family, pack up and leave because someone's trying to kill you before, you know, they kind of determine it's, it's Hoffman. Um, but, you know, they, they were all concerned that if they had any association with Hoffman, that they would be next. I don't want to get bombed, so I would GTFO. So as police are investigating these bombings, um, you know, they're at Hoffman's house and they start going through all his stuff and they find evidence of the forgeries, basically. So they find, like, the forged plate, which he used to create the Oath of a Freeman forgery, um, you know, and there's a, a, a document examiner who starts pretty much going through all these documents that um, Hoffman had previously passed off as real, um, you know, and then was like, oh, actually, <laughs> no, these are fake. These are forgeries. Uh, and things from there start to pretty uh, quickly unravel, right? So, what really sets it off is as they start uh, looking into more of these documents, there's like an unnatural cracking within the ink. And that is pretty much like the nail in the coffin. That's like the tip off. Yes. And so, uh, you know, Hoffman's arrested in like January 1986. Um, and he's charged on four indictments totaling 27 counts, including oh. first degree murder. Um, delivering a bomb, constructing or possessing a bomb, (laughs) theft by deception, and communication fraud. And there's a fifth indictment um, that contains five additional counts of theft by deception, which was later added later um, in January. And Hoffman throughout this whole thing is like, no, no, I'm I'm innocent. See, I got bombed. Yeah. (laughs) But guys, I got bombed. I'm missing a finger. A part that is kind of crazy is that um, you know, prosecutors have like all of this evidence of all of his forgeries and, and, you know, his debts, especially, um, and evidence that just link him to the bombs. And during the investigation, like a lot of the prosecution team are convinced that they're just being stonewalled by leaders of the LDS church. Because also like, can you imagine being part of the LDS church? Who's like buying all these documents off of him and either writing it in as like LDS history or, you know, like, fuck, that would suck. I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, we spent how much money? Yeah, exactly. Oh God. On a clever phony. So there is a chief investigator on the case named Jim Bell who says, quote, 
They're hiding something. The church is doing everything it can to make this as difficult as possible. I've never seen anything like this in a homicide investigation. Um, so what's crazy is because Hoffman's being um, charged in Utah, uh, you know, he had maybe not had the option. There was an option um, for him to face the death penalty in Utah oh my over this. And he's indicted on federal charges of possession of an unregistered uh, machine gun instead. So, uh, you know, New York prosecutors sought to uh, indict for the fraudulent sale of Oath of a Freeman. Because, like, really think about also who he's selling these documents to or, like, trying to sell these documents to. It's pretty wide-reaching. The thought of, like, screwing with very wealthy <laughs> well-connected people scares yeah. me a lot yeah even the mormons yeah so in january 1987 hoffman pleads guilty to two counts of secondary murder uh one count of theft by deception for forging the salamander letter and one count of fraud for the bogus sale of the mcclellan collection and what's like kind of puzzling to some people is that, you know, he gets off with a plea bargain instead of going to trial where he probably would have gotten the death penalty if he was found guilty, when he was found guilty, assuming, Um, you know. And it's kind of one of those, like, how does he escape that? (laughs) Or, like, how does he seemingly get off so easy? Uh, And so he's still in prison to this day. Uh, He had, like, a suicide attempt where he was collecting... um, I think it was like sleeping pills from uh, inmates that he like ODs on sleeping pills in jail and pretty much is on his right arm for so long that by the time that he's like, I don't know, rescued, uh, his right arm is just completely useless. Uh, And that's like his like forgery hand. So he can never forge something ever again. Oh, the sweet irony. Yes. Uh, I I almost feel like he did it purposefully. But what's crazy is like, if you listen to him talk, he doesn't consider himself a dangerous person. He fucking bombed two people. Um, Not just like, okay, so Stephen Christensen, who's the the first one who's who's bombed. um, I, you know, whatever, whatever about this. But the second, the second bombing for Kathy Sheets, he... Like, the way that he describes it is he's pretty much describing it as, like, a game to him. He is on record saying he he didn't care if it was Kathy Sheets, if it was a child, if it was a dog. Because the the way in which he left it is this package in front of a house. Um, but, like, in, in public view. Like, anyone could go pick it up. So, if you're, like, a porch pirate, ooh, oh. bad day to be a porch pirate. <laughs> um, but describes it as, like, a game. And there's just, like, no remorse for anything Mm -hmm. that he did and Mm -hmm. then he's like oh i'm not really a dangerous person no i wouldn't describe myself as that it's crazy but um something we didn't talk about but they talk about in the docuseries so he goes through all these polygraph tests right and he's like very calm and like well-spoken um but they also discover that he had like trained himself to pass polygraph tests at the age of like 13 like he he found a way to like like, he understood the workings of a polygraph test and, like, what was needed to pass it and then has those skills at the age of 13. I don't know. That's it's wild like to me. sociopathy. Yeah. To, like, the nth degree. Yeah. I mean, there's just, like, after we finished watching, it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, okay, he's such an intelligent person. And, like, this is what you choose to do with your intelligence. Like, just be a total piece of shit human being. Right. That's a shame. So, <laughs> that's the story of Mark Hoffman. Um, I don't really have too much more else on that. There's, I think, a lot more that you could go into if you wanted to read about, um, you know, the more specific, like, documents that he maybe forged from, like, the Americana history side. Um, you know, there's a lot more about the Mormon side. But we're already, like, an hour into this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I figure this is a good place to stop, um, but highly recommend going to watch the uh, the the docu series on Netflix again. It's called what was it? 
uh, Murder Among the Mormons. Right. It's really good, really well done. And it's a short three-parter, so shouldn't be too bad. That's light binging. Light binging. Easy. Very light. So any any final thoughts or words? It's always the smart ones. It's always... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm still just, I'm I'm like half fascinated, half horrified, basically. I'll say he found his market for sure. Oh, yeah. He found yeah. A, a super niche market. Yeah. And very, he very abused niche. the crap out of it. Absolutely. So that's, uh, that's the story of Mark Hoffman. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed Hope maybe this like piqued your interest a little bit. If you want to go down your own rabbit hole of, I don't know, Mark Hoffman nonsense. <laughs> but uh, that's it from us. Righto. Stay tuned right after this episode. We have a promo from our good friends at Twisted and Uncorked. Uh, I feel like it's a great pod that is like right up the alley of everyone who listens regularly same kind of same kind of deal so uh go give them a listen listen to the promo give them a listen anywhere that you find your podcasts all right bye bye hello twisted humans this is the podcast where two best friends chat true crime and have a glass or two of wine i'm alicia and i'm caitlin and this is twisted and uncorked so join us every week for casual tuesdays where we release a new episode we are now available on all platforms including spotify apple podcasts and google play rate review and subscribe cheers cheers